Yeah. That was good. Hey, that's Whitney. Give it up for Whitney. Awesome, man. Yeah, you can tell she just wants to bust out dancing. I've been, I've been giving her lessons, some moves, and uh, that was my move there. And uh, I got moves for a white boy. I'm all right. And uh, I don't. I don't have moves. Anyway, um, hey, hey, let me jump into this. If I could sum up the last month and a half in here, the last four or five weeks that we've been in this series, of, we've been studying through the book of Galatians. If I kind of wrap up the book of Galatians, if I could sum up what Paul was trying to teach the people like 2,000 years ago and teaching us in, the, in, in this room today, if I could kind of wrap the whole thing up in one sentence, it would sound something like this. The only possible way for anybody to be saved, all right, to, to be forgiven, to be connected to God, know that you're okay, all right, is by grace through faith in what Jesus did for them on a cross. That's the only way, right? That's it, all right? And here's what I mean. That's the that's whole book is, is, is basically saying that over and over and over. Nobody has ever or could ever earn their way to heaven. This is impossible. Nobody has ever or none of us could ever sufficiently pay for our sins and mistakes. I messed up my life, then I did this, and now I'm okay with God. It doesn't work that way. Here's a big one. Nobody is saved and, and, and goes to heaven because they lived a good life and they did enough good things and then God looked at them and says, you're a good man or you're a good woman and you're good enough so you can come and live in heaven. That's not how it works. Nobody is saved because they're a good person. Nobody is saved because they're better than most people. Like the top 50%, God grades on the curve. The top 50% go to heaven, the rest of you go to hell. That's not how it works, all right? And by the same token, all right, and this is another theme all the way through we've been looking at, once you're saved, once you're fine with God through Jesus, nobody is unsaved because you made a mistake last Tuesday. And God looks at you and goes, well, whoops, you're out again. No, it doesn't work that way, all right? You can't do anything that's so big that undoes or negates what Jesus did for you. It's not possible. So Paul's point back then and for us today, all right, is this, don't let anyone, and if you ever find yourself in a church where they're teaching this, gather your things, go get your kids, and don't go back to that church, but if you ever find anybody trying to add to or take away from what Jesus taught, the gospel, all right, which is this, all right, it is by grace through faith in Jesus that you are saved, period. That's it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It is by grace through faith and what Jesus did for you on a cross. That's what makes you okay with God, all right? And, and again, it's, it, we, we spend a lot of time on, on these themes. You aren't saved because, men, you had surgery on one of your body parts. We covered that intensely. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, all, right, so, all right, so you aren't saved because you kept a bunch of rules that you find in the Bible, especially the parts of the old Bible that you don't understand, but you kept them as best you could, and now you're saved. It didn't work that way. You're not saved based on your gender or your social status or who your parents were or where you came from. That it's, it's irrelevant. Your salvation, being connected to God, is based 100% on what Jesus did for you and nothing else. I mean, if we did anything in the whole salvation process, it was this. We said yes. God said, I'd like to save you through what my son did for you. And we made a good decision and went, yes, I would like to receive that. And we are saved. So that was like the first two or three weeks we, we covered that pretty intensely. Now, then the discuss point last week goes like this. Once you were saved, once you were forgiven, all right, once you were adopted into God's family, once you were filled with the spirit of Jesus, and all that happened the moment you became a Christian, God began and continues even today to transform you. That's a big word. Transform you into the man or woman that he created you to be and now looks at you and says, you already are. You already are. When God looks at you, he says, this is how I see you. You don't see yourself this way. God sees you this way. I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm just a screw up. I'm just a loser. I messed up again. I'm a sinner. God doesn't look at you that way. He looks at you and he says, no, you're a new creation. You have a new start. You're a son of God. And that's important. You're a son of God. Men and women, that's really, really important that when the Bible says you are a son of God, because culturally in Paul's day, the only person who could be an heir of their father was a son. And now because of Jesus, male or female, you are a co-heir with Christ. 
Everything God says and promises to Jesus, through Jesus, you get, you get all that coming in your direction too. And that word transformation is God working in you to true up your whole life. The internal spiritual part of your life and the external living it out everyday part of your life. It's truing it up with, with who he says and he, who he declares, this is who you are right now. You're saved, you're adopted, you're my child. And transformation is the process that moves you to believing that that's true and then living out of that, even though you didn't do it this week but I'm being transformed, all right? Transformation means this. This is gonna be really relieving for some of us. Transformation means this. You are a work in progress. This is not all, that's, this isn't all there is. I mean, you look around the room going, so this is as good as it gets? Thank God, no. No, no, there's more coming, all right? You're being transformed. God's spirit's changing me. God's spirit's changing you. It's a work in progress. And so now, this last you know, third of the book, Paul starts to wrap up this letter to Christians by getting really, really, really practical. If all that stuff that he's been teaching us is true, it's kind of a, if that's true, then what's that mean for my life when I get up out of this building and go live my life? What, what, what does it mean? For example, it goes like this, and this is what Scott touched on last week. It says, if you really have put your faith in Christ, if you have been set free from your past, if you truly understand it's by grace alone that you've been saved, if you have the spirit of Jesus living inside of you and he's leading your life, if that's really true, certain things follow. Stuff happens, if that's really true. Not so that God will save you and forgive you, but because you're already saved and Jesus lives in you. If that's true, things happen in your life. And the comparison that Paul made last week, always, the Bible's always using metaphors. It's kind of like this. Paul makes a comparison of a real Christian who has the spirit of Jesus living inside of them. He says, they're kind of like a fruit tree. There, that explains a lot, doesn't it? You're, you're kind of like a fruit tree. How do you know if an apple tree really is an apple tree? You look at the tree and it has... See, you're spiritual. You got one right. There you go. All right, so, right? so you examine it. You just examine the fruit. Go, there, that must be a good apple tree. It's got apples hanging all over it. Well, the apples are the evidence of the spirit of Jesus living in a person is that their life bears fruit, tangible, observable, measurable results. Their life is being more and more described by the same words that you would describe Jesus because he lives inside of you and it's coming out. Right? Words like this. this is, we looked at this last week. Now, the fruit or the evidence of the spirit of Jesus living in a person's life is, this describes their life, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, remember that one, and self-control. These things are growing in your life. They're not full grown, but they're, they're, they're getting better. They're getting better. And the takeaway from all that is this. If your life isn't producing those kind of results, if those aren't the words that are growing more and more and more evident in your life, much more than they were a year ago, one of two things is true. This is a hard truth, but either you aren't really saved and you never were, you just kind of had an emotional thing and you faked it for a while, or you are saved, but something's blocking. Something's hindering, something's standing in the way of you becoming and growing into the person, the harvest-producing, co-heir with Christ, son of God person that Jesus died for so you could become that person. Your problem is not that Jesus didn't save you or save you enough he did. You're as saved as you're ever going to be. But after you were saved, something happened. And I like how Paul compares it, another metaphor. It's like you were running your race and then somebody cut in your lane and cut you off. And he tripped you up. And now you believe something that's not true about yourself. God says this is true. You just don't believe it. And until it's addressed, nothing's going to change in your life. Please understand, you're saved. If you die tonight, you're going to heaven if you put your faith in Jesus. You're free, but for some reason, you aren't living like it. And Paul gives them a list of, of things like these. This is, this is Scott unpacked this last week. Here's a list of things like these that are going on in a person's life if they are not saved or they're not living like a saved person. And it goes, it goes like this. There are certain areas of your life that will change if Jesus is in your life. 
And he, and he picks out some big ones. He picks out like the landmines of our life. Like here's a big one. The first one on the list is your sexuality and how you express and demonstrate sexual activity in your life. It will be different if you have Jesus living inside of you. He knows it will be affected. Well, what, what do you mean? It means this. If before you understood who Jesus was, before you bumped into Jesus, the way we say it around here, before you said, I believe he is the son of God and he, and he died on a cross for my sins. If before that time in your life, you approach sexuality and, and express you know, your sex life one way, you know, and, and, and he uses a, a list of words, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and that's kind of like a junk drawer, like here's God's plan for my sex life, this is my life, all right? It's very different than what God says, but it was my life. It was my, it describes my life, all right? It's just out of bounds, all right? But then you bumped into Jesus. And then you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and then you invite him to come and live in your life. And along the way, you learn that God has a different plan for your sex life than, than before you bumped into Jesus. And it's different. It's different. And now you know that. But, but here's the biggie. Now knowing that truth, that God has a better plan for your life and a, and a better expression of sexuality in your life, you know that's true. You know what Jesus says about it, but nothing's changed. Nothing's different. Nothing is changing, even a little bit. And by the way, you don't have any plans of ever changing the way you see or express sexuality. I don't care what God says, the Bible says, Jesus says, let alone Pastor Jim. I don't care. I'm not changing. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change. And Paul says, if that's the case, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your faith. And something needs to change. You're saved, but grace is not permission to not change, to, to, to keep on sinning. The same way you did before you bumped into Jesus. And Paul has a long list of these. He goes on and he points to idolatry, all right? Meaning if, if you continually, this describes your life. I'm always putting other things in front of God and, and saying, hey, Jesus, I'll get to you when I have time and, and, and if it's not too inconvenient or, or if, 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 if this is how you run your life. I kind of combine spiritual, you know, spirituality and false religions. And I combine that with all the Jesus stuff and that's how I get spiritual guidance. Paul says that's idolatry. You can't do that. If you're, how about, does this describe your life? If everywhere you go, you're just a drama queen. Every, everywhere you, king, whatever. All right? And everywhere you go, there's tension in the room every time you're there. If this describes your life, I'm always angry. I'm always in a fight with somebody, my friends, my mom, my family, whatever. If you're jealous of other people all the time about what they have and what they can do that you can't do. If that describes your life, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Well, what, why? Because when Jesus is in you, and this is a song we're going to end with today, when Jesus is in you, Jesus' things come out of you. Things change, and if they don't change and become more like Jesus who lives in you, then again, there's only two possibilities. Either Jesus never was in you or isn't in you, or he's in you, but something's holding him back. Something's keeping, him from, 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 from keeping you from running your race and living that free life that God sent Jesus so that you could have that life. You're saved. That's not even up for debate. You're saved and going to heaven, but grace is not permission to not change. It's, it's evidence that Jesus is in your life. So, so one of the first questions, and I know this is going to be redundant, like move on. I won't move on. We got to get this, all right? One of the first questions or takeaway from the book of Galatians would be this. If it is true that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and nothing more is necessary to be saved and you can't screw up so bad that God takes it away from you, the question would be this, and I challenge you to do this. As you look into the mirror of your life, what changed or what's changing what is the evidence, the fruit the, of your grace-saved, faith-dependent, saved, and changing life? Now that you are saved, what's changed? And if you go, nothing, why? Why is that? And I don't know the answer. That's between you and God, all right? But the other kind of implied, you know, application of this whole book of Galatians would, would, would be this. Hey, Christian, would you stop worrying about if you're saved or not? 
right? I mean, if you put your faith in what Jesus did for you, you are saved. So stop doubting your salvation. Every time you screw up, I messed up, I lost my temper, I did this, I committed another sin, I bet God hates me and he took the this, this salvation back. It's not true. You are saved. You're saved. But the second question, honestly, would be this. If you keep on making mistakes in the same area of life over and over and over again, every time you find yourself in that place, the question is, what is it that needs to be transformed in your life to come more in line with what God says is true? Here's a follow-up question. What's God telling you right now? You know what I didn't ask? Is God telling you anything right now? He is. He is. All right, I'm not a prophet, but he is, all right? There is something in your life. I bet right now that God is saying, you know that one thing? It's not even close to what I want for you, for what I want for your family, for your marriage, for your, for your sexuality, whatever that is. It's, it's not. What, what is that for you, all right? So, so part of Galatians is written to Christians so that we can know and understand where we personally and relationally stand with God because of what Jesus did for us. And the answer is we are saved. We're fine with God. But the other application to this, this is what I want to spend my time on today, would be this. If I really am saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, how does that change the way that I or we as Christians deal with other people? You know, no matter what they believe about God or no matter what they're doing right or wrong in their life, how we deal with other people. And what we're going to see today is this. How we deal with other people, regardless of what's going on in their life, almost always has more to do with what's going on inside of us rather than what's going on with them. That's just true. So let's pick up right where Scott left off. Last week in uh, Galatians chapter 5, pick up in verse 26. Now, the thing to remember here is that, that Paul is writing to Christians. So if you call yourself a Christian, lean into this today. If you're not a Christian, just sit back, all right? Just kind of take notes on this and see if this is something you'd want to sign up for. You might not. Okay, so, all right, Galatians chapter 5. I hope you do, though. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. Here we go. He says this, let us, all right, so he's talking to Christians, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so Paul points out right off the bat, he, and he's not just talking about every once in a while or sometimes. He's, he's going to be talking about a very common tendency of Christians, and we know who we are. We've been saved for a while. All right? It's making news. So when did you become a Christian? You're going like, I don't know, like 100 years ago. I don't know. All right? I mean, it's been a, a, been a long, long time. So Christians have been saved for a while, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I, when I call this out in a minute. But, but so many times we Christians, we start thinking... You know, there was a time when I really needed grace. There was a time when I was so, I was, I was nuts, all right, right? And there was, God just needed to send a lot of grace my way. But, but now, you know, may, maybe because we've been transformed by God's power and we've, or we've worked hard to clean up the majority of obvious sins that people can see that we're doing right or wrong, all right? So we cleaned up the big stuff, all right? And we never say this out loud because you sound so self-righteous and so arrogant, all right? But somewhere inside, here's where we've landed. And it goes like this. I don't even think I really need much grace anymore. I'm pretty good, right? right? Again, you wouldn't say this out loud, but you're sitting there going, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm not as bad as I, I, as, I use, as I used to be, all right? And, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't need that much help anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. But here's, here's the thing is, with that arrogance comes a tendency, and we know, we know we're, we're, a lot of us are, this, are the people like this, all right? Comes this tendency to start pointing fingers at other people and attacking what other people are doing right or wrong or struggling with, and we start cutting people down and criticizing what other people are involved in. We're fine. You have a problem, right? So here's what Paul writes to kind of close out this whole letter. It goes like this. Hey, Christian, be careful. Be careful. Don't get conceited. Don't get cocky. Remember, the only thing that saved or changed any part of your life is Jesus. You are totally dependent upon the grace provided by Jesus. You always were from day one, and you always will be till you get to heaven. You're dependent on grace. 
Paul goes on, chapter 6, all right? So, chapter 6. Brothers, again, so he's talking to brother, people who say I'm part of the family of God. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so anybody's caught sinning, all right? You who are spiritual, what does that mean? I have the spirit of Jesus living in me, all right? You who are spiritual should what? Should what? Restore. That's important. If you have your Bible, like, underline that, okay? You who are spiritual have Jesus in you. You should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness, and that's really, really important because gentleness, we just talked about it. Gentleness is one of the what? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus was gentle. If he lives in you, gentleness is going to come, come, come out. So what Paul is saying is this. When you find somebody in your life who's just messing up, they're sinning. First of all, the goal is not to punish them. It's to restore them, all right? And the best way to restore them is to do it with a, the same spirit or the manner that Jesus would do it, with gentleness, and I have mixed feelings about the word gentleness. That word gentleness, sometimes it's also translated meekness. Ugh, and I don't like that word. Meek is weak. Ugh, I don't like that word, all right? So I don't want to be weak, all right? But it doesn't mean that. I studied this week. Ta-da, all right? But, but meekness doesn't mean passive or weak. And it certainly doesn't mean this. Oh, you're sinning. Come here. Let me hug you. Right, ah, I don't, I don't hug. I don't like that, all right? So what it means is this. No matter what situation you find or confront somebody in, Stay calm and, and, and stay in control because you have a different perspective. You know that God loves this person. You know that God is doing something in their, in their life and that God wants to work in their life and he's invited you in so he can work through you in, in their life. So do it with gentleness. That doesn't mean you don't get angry. There's stuff in this world getting, worth getting angry about, right? That's just true. There's righteous anger. But it means that you get angry at the sin that's destroying this person but still have grace toward the person being destroyed. So you can do this, all right? So, so if you confront a person who's sinning, all right, you must attack the sin, not the person who's being destroyed by the sin. And this is so important and forgotten by most Christians. The goal of confronting any person who's making a mistake is to restore them, not punish them, to get them back in the place of freedom that God wants for all people. So if you feel like I'm going to go confront this person and your goal is not to restore them, shut up. Stay home. Keep your mouth closed, all right? If you're going to go, I'm going to go show them what's good for them. No, you're not. You're going to go punish them. You're going to take on the role of the Holy Spirit. And here, write this down. You are not the Holy Spirit. You're not. It's not your job. He's got that covered, and you're not him, all right? And Paul throws in this little sentence right after that, just as a reminder. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I used to read that and think, yeah, if, you, if, if I go and confront somebody that's sinning, I might look at their sin and go, that's, that's pretty cool. And I jump in it, and now both of us are sinning, all right? And it's a party. And just, here we go, all right? But, but that's not what it means, okay? I mean, it might mean that, but don't. But, but, but if you back up a verse, Paul's just warned Christians, don't get cocky, don't get conceited, don't just put a finger in somebody's chest and start fighting with them. So most likely Paul is saying, hey, be careful, Christians, so that you don't get all self-righteous and conceited and think that just because you don't wrestle with this particular thing they're wrestling with, you never have, or you don't anymore because you conquered it, or whatever, or, or you just don't understand why they have this problem, that's great, good for you. But be careful, because in your arrogance, you're going to start thinking, I'm a little bit better than you, and you're going to make things worse. You're going to put a finger in their chest, and you're going to make it worse. Instead, here's a better way. Here's a better way. Verse 2. We're flying. Look at this. Verse 2, right? Bear one another's burdens, carry one another's burdens, and, and in doing that, so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's a better way for a Christian to approach or see somebody who, according to what God says is right and true, and it doesn't matter what my opinion is about what's right and true, it doesn't matter what, I, what Jim thinks about what's a sin and what's not, God has said this is better, all right? And you find somebody that's doing something very different than what God says is right, here, here's a better way. How about this? Whatever it is that they are carrying that makes their, their life difficult and causes them or tempts them to sin and keep on sinning, 
You might want to write this down. This is so deep. Help them. Right? So that's new information for some of us. I never thought somebody's in trouble. Maybe I should help. Write that down, all right? Yeah, help them. That is a, a better way. Carry their burden. See, a burden by definition is something that somebody has to carry in this life, suffer through in their life, right? In their week, in their, in, in their family. That's their burden. You might call it their lot in life. Well, it's just, it's just a burden I have to, to, to carry. And it might be their fault. It might be somebody else's fault. After all these years, nobody remembers I don't know why my life is hard. It just is. Life landed on me or landed on my family, and now my load, my burden is really, really hard. It could be a moral thing. It could be a moral thing, all right? They, they really struggle in this area of your life. They, 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 you look at them and go, well, they made a mistake. They, they chose poorly. It's their fault. Okay, but now they have these consequences that every day it makes it really, really hard for them to live their life. It, it may not even be their fault. It may be something that happened to them years ago, but even now it's having effects. Here's a news flash. Not everybody has great parents. Did you know that? Not everybody has a dad that really is in their life. Nobody has, no, not everybody has a great mom who, you know, who's, who's there for them all the time. And the effects keep on going. Some of us are unpacking packing stuff from our parents from years ago, right? Maybe it's a bad marriage. Some of us in this room are trapped in a bad marriage or we just got out of a bad marriage and because of that, our life sucks. It's really heavy to carry. Maybe we got abused by somebody, all right? And it's over, but it's still defining us and it's making our life. Maybe our bodies are betraying us. Cancer cells are going crazy. We had an accident, whatever that is. We're just getting old, whatever that is. And our, and our, and our body is, is, is this burden that we have to carry and life is hard. Do you remember, remember a, few, a few months ago, we were, we were looking at some of the, picture, uh, the stories that Jesus told. He told three stories in a row one time. One about a sheep that ran off and got lost. One about a coin that, that rolled under a counter and got lost. And one about a son that ran away from home. Remember that? And we looked at the sheep and we were talking about the sheep. Here was the conclusion of that, all right? It goes like this. There's a reason that the sheep got lost. There's always a reason why we get lost, right? There's a reason you got lost. There's a reason why, you know, you can look back and go, well, yeah, I wish I hadn't done it, but the, the reason I did it was this, all right? There's a reason why this person that you're watching screw up their life. There's a reason why they're screwing up their life. There's a reason why their burden is heavy. Again, maybe it's a moral weakness, an emotional sexual temptation. And every time, you know, they pray about it, they go to counseling for it, and they, they tell God, okay, promise, I'm never, ever going to do it again. But then here it comes again, and boom, down the road. They've repented of this thing so many times. It's just like, hey, dear Lord, ditto. I mean, I just pray the same prayer over and over and over. Or maybe it's, it's just, they're trapped in something. Some of us in this room, we were trapped in such a horrible circumstance of our life, we don't think it's ever going to end, so we've given up hope. And so we just keep our head down, and our life is hard. It doesn't, what Paul's saying is it doesn't matter what that person is carrying or why they're carrying it or if you fully understand why it's causing them to mess up. That, that doesn't matter. Paul says if they are carrying a burden... The most Christ-like way to help them see them restored back to where God wants them to be, where they need to be, but they don't think it's possible, is if a person who claims to have Jesus in them, we call that person a Christian, says this, I will help you. I'll help you carry that. I can't carry it for you. I can't carry it instead of you, but I'm willing to go through this with you. So why why would I want to do that? Why would a Christian do that? Well, Paul says this in in Galatians. He says, when a Christian does that, it is proof that you understand Christ. You understand the law of Christ, the most basic tenet of having Jesus living inside of you. And do you remember what the law of Christ is? They asked Jesus this one time, hey, what's the, whole, what's the most important thing in the whole Bible? And then last week, Paul quoted, quoted Jesus the same way. Look at this, Galatians 5. Here's everything. For the whole law, everything that came out of Jesus' mouth, all right, is fulfilled in one word, one phrase. It goes like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What did Jesus teach us? Love people. Love God and love people. 
That sums it all up. So what is the bottom line expression of having Jesus live in a person's life? You love your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? What's that look like? Help them carry their burden. That's Christianity 101 right there. So here's a, here's a basic teaching. If you're one of those people that's sitting in this room right now saying, I'm a Christian. You say, I've been saved by grace through faith. You say, you know, I love Jesus. He loves me. We're a happy family. That's a Barney reference. All right. So anyway, all right. And he's changing me. So you call yourself a Christian. You say, God's changing my life. Great. You know what? There's billions of people in the world claiming that. There's people up and down your road. I'm a Christian. He's changing me. All right. Great. Anybody can claim that. But according to God's word, here's the proof that 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 statement is really true. It goes like this. Whenever you see a person who's carrying a heavy load in their life, even if it's caused by sin in their life or causing them to sin now in their life, here's his instruction. Help them carry it with the goal of restoring them back to living the free life that Jesus came to give them, but something's trapping them or tripping them up. Help people. You can't fix people. You can't change people. You can't, you, you, you can't save anybody. That's way above your pay grade. Just help them. Jesus says, I got the rest. I got the rest. Now, I'm not a prophet, but I, here's what's happening in this room right now. You are having conversations in your head with, with me, uh, with, with yourself, with God. And, and all these conversations start with sentences like this. Yeah, but what about her? And what about that? And what about that? And what if he does that? And, and what about people that do stuff like that? And surely Jesus doesn't expect me to help somebody like that. And they don't even really want help. So, so I, I shouldn't be expected. Okay. All right. But remember, so far, this is what we've learned. Paul said, don't get cocky. The only reason anything changed in your life for the better is that Jesus jumped into your mess and saved and changed and helped you. So if somebody needs help, help them. That's what it says. Now, I love this next verse because Paul's so sarcastic. I love it. Verse three. For if anybody, anybody, anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I love that. So you think you're something. Well, you're not. Well, you're not. You're, you're lying to yourself, all right? That's what it means. And you know exactly what he's talking about here because this room is full of people like this. You're sitting here right now going, you know, I, I kind of am something. I'm kind of cool, all right? I mean, you're sitting there going, I, I am, I'm all that. I am, I'm, I'm pretty spiritual. Look at me. More than her anyway, all right? So, so I, you know, I, I, and, and here's where that leads, all right? I, I don't think someone like me should help her or him carry their burden, especially because that burden is just gross, I mean, if they had a cool burden, maybe I'd jump in there. But it's not, all right? It's kind of repulsive. So I don't think that someone like me, all right, should help carry anything like that of theirs. Maybe it's because of who you are. Because, you know, I'm important and I'm this and I'm that. And people like me don't help people like that. Or, and I shouldn't be expected to sit down and help them. And honestly, they don't really deserve it. Kind of asked for it. They should have known better. This all landed on them. It's their own fault. It's not my responsibility. And I can't save the whole world. I can't save a lot of people. So I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just not going to help her. Somebody else is going to help her carry her burden. These are the conversations we have in our heads all week long. Isn't that true? And Paul says, okay, hey, Christian, you're making excuses and you're a liar. That's what he says. You deceive yourself. Because any, this, any excuse that you give as to why you shouldn't be expected to help that person or that they don't deserve your help are the exact same excuses that Jesus could have thrown on the table to explain why he shouldn't have had to save you and you're not worth saving. He could have. He could have thrown that on the table with me at any point, and he did not one time. I wouldn't have blamed him if he had. But not once did he look at me and say, someone like me shouldn't save someone like Jim because he doesn't deserve it. He didn't do that. He could have and he didn't. But here's the truth. If, if Jesus didn't help us with our burden, we wouldn't be here. And that's just true. So be careful, Christian, when you start thinking, I don't have to help people like that. Keep reading verse four. Here's a better way. But let each one of us test his own work, kind of examine your own life. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not 
in his neighbor. And this is Paul's way of saying, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop thinking you're better than her and she's better than me and, and I'm worse than those people over there, all right? Because this comparison thing has got to stop. Now, so here's a little side note, all right? A little extra teaching. It's free. You don't have to believe it, but it's true, all right? It goes like this, all right? Over the past several months, but the last couple of years, but especially the last several months, I have stood up here and kind of vomited my life on you. You're welcome, all right? So okay, this is what I'm going through. This is what God is teaching me about, about manhood, about masculinity, about what it means to be a good man, a sufficient man, a husband, a father, a leader. And the more that I've really leaned into this, I've, I've really kind of poured my heart into working with some men in, in, this, in, in this church, people, some friends of mine in my life, men who don't ever, have never been to this church. I'm spending time with them, young men, old men, rich men, poor men. Here's what I've discovered about men. Ladies, it's probably true about you, but... I don't understand you. Uh, but anyway, so I'm trying, I'm trying, all right? But anyway, so, but you, 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 all the men here are going, oh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't. You should have seen the car right here. I don't, oh, it's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> here's what I know about men. We spend all day comparing ourselves to every man we encounter. We walk in a room and I know where I stand. We, we walk and we compare ourselves all day. And I don't know when it starts, nursery school, nursing home, I don't know. But in there, I was like, we spend our whole time comparing ourselves to every man around us. And here's the question we're trying to determine. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I sufficient as a man compared to him, all right? All day long, from locker room to boardroom, from ball field to bedroom, the question is that we're asking ourselves is, how do I compare? Am I enough? I mean, I'm stronger than he is, obviously. And he's richer than me, obviously. She has, or he has more than me, and I have more than he does. And, and we're just measuring things. And, and here's the truth is, almost always, men, we are measuring the wrong thing which is another talk I'm using for men's retreat, but that's something else. But some of you don't understand that. Ask your mom in the car. But, uh, and then she'll drive into a tree. It's just crazy. But anyway, but, but my point is this. I have a point. Sorry. What is true as men in our insecure human physical nature is true for every one of us, men and women, all day long, we do the same thing spiritually. We do. We don't intend to. We didn't get out of bed this morning and go, I'm going to compare myself to five other Christians and see where I stand with the Lord. We, we don't do that, but that is what we do all week long. So well, what do you mean? It looks like this. You see somebody that's screwing up their life, and here's what goes on in our head. I might sin, but I don't do that. At least I don't do, do stuff like that, because I would never do that. That's just horrible, right? And I'm tempted to do certain things that technically are sins, but, but she should not be tempted to do that, and he shouldn't do weird stuff like that. And they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't, I don't understand that. They shouldn't feel like that. That's just sick. That's gross, all right? And that's just wrong. And they should. Uh, we do this all the time. They should just, I don't know, stop feeling that way. Right? We don't say this out loud because it would be horrible, but we just look at people and go, just stop it. Just stop feeling like that. Stop thinking about stuff like that. Stop drinking that much. Stop eating that much. Stop, stop feeling like that. They should just get over it. And, and here's the other thing. And we conclude that if they don't just get over it, it's because they're not trying hard enough. Or they're not committed to Jesus. Because if they really were committed and loved Jesus, they would just stop that horrible sin, at least that one. This is what we do all the time, Christians. This is what we do. But let's think, let's get really, really honest. If somebody said that about you and your secret special little sin that you're thinking about right now, that you pray nobody in the world ever finds out about, and they came up to you and says, you should just stop it, what would you do? If you didn't punch them in the face, what would you do, right? What you'd probably think or say is this, thank you. Thanks for that. That's helpful. You don't understand. Right? I wish, I wish that was true. I wish it was that easy. I wish I could just stop. I don't know what else to do. I've tried to stop. You're right. I'm ashamed of my life. I wish, I wish it wasn't a part of my life. I hate it every time that I do this. And I promise myself that was the last time. And I hate my life. And I hate myself. And I, I bet God hates me too. Because if I was God, I would hate someone like me. 
Do you, see, do you see and understand what hangs in the balance when a person is carrying a heavy burden in their life, no matter whose fault it is or what they're doing? You see what hangs in the balance here? And the answer is everything. Everything. You say it's no big deal. You say it's not that important. Oh, it, it might mean everything. Which is why Paul says this. Hey, Christian, when you meet somebody who's in trouble, in the same way that Christ came and jumped into your mess and helped you help them carry their burden. And here's why. Look at this verse. Verse 5. For because each person will have to bear his own load. And I've read through this hundreds of times in my life. And this past week, I, I looked at it and went, well, that's confusing. Because like just a couple sentences before this, Paul says, we need to help each other carry one another's burdens. And then right after that, he goes, because every person has to bear their own load. Well, that's confusing. Help people because they're on their own. What's that mean? It means this. I studied this week. You're welcome. All right? Look at this. You might want to write this down because it, it really helped clarify for me. Look, look at this. A load is not the same word as a burden. In the English language, we use them all the time. They're not the same word. A load and a burden, not the same thing. A burden is a circumstance or a condition of life that's heavy. It's your, it's, it was your past week. It's your health. It's your marriage. It's your financial thing. It's, it's what you're worried about with your, with your children, with your parents. It's all the stuff that's crashed down on you in your life this week or this year or this life or whatever, and you're having to carry that burden. It's the circumstance of your life. A load is the lasting, possibly eternal consequences that could result if that burden eventually crushes you. He said, well, it's crushing me right now. No, it's not. You're still here. You're still here, right? But if, if something doesn't happen, this is what Paul is teaching. If somebody doesn't jump into a person's life that's carrying this heavy burden while there's still time, still a chance, all right, in, in this life, but if nobody helps them, the end result on that person will be heavier and significant and crushing later, maybe even eternally. What's going on in their life right now may last forever unless somebody jumps in and says, let me help. And you know what you call that, by the way? You know what you call this whole concept? Me too. Me too. Paul, the Bible was teaching and preaching me too long before we ever thought it up. We stole it from the Bible, all right? And here, here's, what he's, here's what he's saying, Christian. Listen, don't think that you're better than any other person or that you shouldn't have to or be expected to help some sinner with their burden. Instead, realize that you are saved by the grace of a God who didn't have to save you but chose to anyway. So if somebody needs help, have the attitude of me too and help them now so they don't lose much more later. Now, I'm almost done, all right? I'm supposed to wrap up this whole book of the Bible, and this last chapter has 18 verses, and I know last week Scott taught through 25 verses, good for him, but I, <laughs> I, I just, I made it through six verses, all right? And, and, and I'm going to stop here. Read the rest of the chapter on your own. You can do this, all right? But I, I think that this is so important. If we can get our heads and our hearts around this one truth, our lives and the lives of so many people that we're going to bump into in this world would be very, very, very different, and by different, I mean better. What do you mean? I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of doing this Me Too, help somebody carry their load. I'm going to give you an example of the wrong way to do it from my own life. From my own life, all right? Here's an example of how not to do Me Too. And I prayed about this all week long, because, and I talked to some people, do you think I ought to do this? It's a risky example. What I'm about to throw out here, here, and here's why it's risky. I'm afraid that when I tell you the subject of what I'm going to talk about here in a minute, all right, for some of you, it's going to hijack the entire message. You're going to forget every other thing I said, any, ever, anything you've ever heard Scott and I teach in here, and you're going to get in your car and go, I can't believe Pastor Jim said that. And you're just going to be done because it's that, it's that volatile of a subject for you. But to me, it's a risk worth taking. So I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to take away from this. And if you have a problem with it, email the Holy Spirit, all right? So um, yeah, good luck with that. All right, but, uh, 
But I need you to see that what I'm talking about is not about this particular subject, but the way that I, as a Christian, dealt with some really hurting people who were involved in this subject. And now I'm looking back over my life, I did the same thing in lots of subjects to lots of people. So I'm going to trust that you'll just give me the benefit of the doubt and some grace and listen to the whole thing. I'm going to go way, way, way back, all right? So back in the mid-'80s, right, Rob and I got married in 84. Most of you weren't born, blah, 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 right, right, right? But Bob and I, Rob and I were living in, in Lexington, Kentucky. We had two little babies at our house, and I was trying to figure out the whole pastor thing, all right? I didn't want to be a pastor. I, I lost a bet with God, and here I am. All right, so anyway, so I'm trying to figure out. I'm not doing it right all the time, and, and I'd only come back to the Lord just a few years before this, so my, my faith and my spiritual you know, walk was kind of immature, and, but it was growing, all right? I was trying to figure it out. I did the best I could. Now, back in the 80s, again, some of you, you were there and you, you went through this with that, you know, with, with, with that whole decade, and some of you heard about it, and some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but back in the 80s, if you'll remember, the issue of abortion, hang on, right, was being widely discussed and debated, not just in politics, but in every church you walked into. It was like in every sermon, no matter what church you went into, and churches polarized on the subject of abortion, and it almost become a litmus test about if you were a real Christian or not based on where you landed on this one subject. We don't care what you believe about Jesus or about God or about how a person is saved or not, but where do you land on the issue of, uh, of abortion? Now, it was a big deal, really, really big deal. Within the Christian world, within the church, all right, there was a movement of Christians who felt so convicted about the subject that they would go and they would stand outside of abortion clinics. Remember this, all right? And they would sing and they would pray. And sometimes they would passively sit or lay down in front of the door of the clinic with the hopes that the patient would, would, would change their mind and, and go, turn around and go home and not, not have the abortion. Some crazy Christians, all right, took it to a whole nother level and they would stand outside these clinics and they would scream mean, hateful things at these girls, calling them horrible names, holding up these horrific, horrific pictures. And then the really crazy said, let's just blow up the clinics. It, it was nuts. It was nuts. It was, a, it was a crazy time. Now, let me say this. I kind of got swept up in some of that. I did, all right? Now, I'll tell you this. I never screamed or yelled insults at girls. I, did, I never did that. It just didn't seem right. And I never, ever held up horrible pictures of, of babies. But I did go out to some clinics, and, and I would pray. I prayed that that, that, that would stop. I, 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 would, I would go, and I would sing some songs. And I, and I did yell some stuff out. I yelled stuff like this. Please don't do this. And I was arrested twice and hauled off to jail for, for trying to block the door of a, of a clinic. I did a lot of stuff. You know what I never did? You know what I never did? I never asked one woman what her story was. I didn't even think of that. We didn't have a lot of money, all right? I, but I never offered even a little bit of money to buy diapers or baby food for a teenage girl who had no money to feed this baby on her way. I never, I never, we had, a, I had an extra bed. We had a small house, but we had an extra bed. I never offered one of our empty beds to a girl who was afraid that if her parents or her boyfriend found out about her pregnancy, they would put her on the street. I didn't offer anything except advice and condemnation. I had a lot of that, which is really ironic, and, and here's why. Because I've shared this with you, so much of my life has been driven by shame and fear and insecurity over my past mistakes, all right? Yet never once did I take the grace and forgiveness that had been poured out on me from Jesus. Never once did I offer it to any girl in crisis and tell her, you don't have to be ashamed, you don't have to be afraid, and you don't have to be alone. I didn't offer to help her carry anything. I just told her, you're wrong, and you're about to commit a sin, a big one. And at the time, again, I was young in my faith and, and, and my spirituality was, was immature. And looking back at that moment, I, I think my intentions were right. I do. I think my heart was pure in what I was trying to do. But now looking back, I think I just made a really bad, hard, tough situation for this girl. I think I just made it worse. 
Why, why, why do you say that? Because th- th- there's a difference in telling somebody that they're wrong and offering to help bear the burden so that later the load doesn't crush them. It's just different. And God's been teaching me some stuff over the last 30 years, I hope, all right? He's been transforming me. And I look back over my life, and you do too, and you look back over your life, and if you could do things different, you would do a lot of things different. But here's my point, Christians. There has to be something that followers of Jesus that makes us different than people who don't follow Jesus, or at least the Jesus that we've come, come, come to know and trust. There's, there has to be something about us that's different from a world that doesn't understand or hasn't experienced the unmerited, undeserved grace that a lot of us have had poured out on us by Jesus. And the difference in our life is not that now that we're a Christian, we, we're all of a sudden passive and weak, or that, that we have no strong beliefs about certain things that God is clear on. And it's not that now that you're a follower of Jesus, keep your mouth shut and mind your own business. That's not what makes us different. What needs to make us difference is this. We are not passive and we are not weak. And because we do have strong faith and strong beliefs and because of all the grace that we have received and the help that we have personally been given from Jesus in carrying our burdens because of all that, Christians, we need to look to our leader and say to anybody in need, because Jesus helped me, if you have a heavy burden, rather than me just telling you that you're a sinner and that you're doing something wrong and you need to do it differently, how about this? M- me too. Now, how can I help you right now from being crushed by something heavier later? That's a better way. This is a better way. And if my story is an example of how not to do it, when you leave this room in a minute, or Wes, you have to get online and, and, and listen to this, but right out in our parking lot or on I Empathize's website is an example of this is a great way to do it. Right outside in, in the parking lot, right, is, is a big truck by I Empathize. They don't shout advice at girls and at kids and at men. They, they say there's a better way. There's a better way. How can I help? They, they rescue. They restore. Because here's, here's, I talked to I Empathize last night. Right now, last night and tonight, all over our country, all over the world, but this, this truck is concentrating on this. On every truck stop in America, there are 11, 12, and 13-year-old little girls and boys selling themselves to truckers. And they're enslaved. And they think this is their life. And I empathize, says, we're going to go. We're not going to yell at people and tell them they're sinners. We're going to restore little boys and little girls and women who have been exploited back to the life that God meant them to have. That's what it looks like. How can I help? How, how, how can I go? Because you don't, this is not the life you were meant to live, and there's a better way. So here's what I'm telling you. All right, and Wes, you're going to have to get online and look at this, all right? But, but on your way out, there's a long, la- the last three services, there has been a line all the way across the lobby. Stand in line and go through that display out there. There's nothing that's going to offend you except the topic itself. And then stop by a little table out there. And if you really, 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 really believe that and are convicted by this, stop by there and say, I don't know how I can help, but if there's any way that I could help a 15-year-old girl who's working the TA out here, how can I help carry her burden? See what you can do. You say, well, why would I do that? Because that's what Jesus taught. And we say he's our Lord, and we say he's our, he's our leader, and that's what Jesus did. Can you imagine if that was our reputation? If you, can you imagine if the world had that opinion about Christians instead of, of the reputation that so much of the world has about us, that we're self-righteous, better than other people, finger in our chest people, and they don't just believe that about us. A lot of people just assume it's Jesus too. It's just a better way. It's a better way. So I'm going to close this series out, all right, uh, about what Jesus has done for us and the implications of how we see ourselves as being connected to God and how we treat other people. Here's the best way I can close this whole series out. I'm going to quote Jesus. That just seems wise. He's smart, okay? So everything he's about to say is better than anything that Scott and I have said in the last five weeks. This sums it up. This is Jesus. He sums up everything I said. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, you're getting crushed, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'll teach you. For I am gentle and lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden won't crush you. It's light. Isn't that what you need? You need a finger in your chest. Isn't that what you need someone to say, help? Or do you need somebody just to tell you what you're doing wrong? You didn't come to church to find out what you're doing wrong. You walked, I walked in here. What I need to know is I'm not alone. That's, that's, that's what I need. So here's how we're going to end this. Let's all stand up together. We're going to read this aloud together off of the screen, all right? And then I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And then we're going to walk out of this room. I really, really, really challenge you to do this. Sometime before you go to bed tonight, would you look in the mirror and say, okay, apparently I'm saved because <laughs> Jesus is really good. What is, it, what is that looking like in my life? And how could I help somebody? Okay, we're going to do that. Let's read this out loud and then I'll pray. Here we go. One, two, three. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. So God, we just read that, that we're quoting your son Jesus, and here's the argument going on in our head. I bet he doesn't want to help me. And we're wrong. You open your arms to us and you you put no conditions. Just come to me. If you're tired, put your faith and trust in me. I will will put my arms around you and I'll hold you together and and I'll come inside of you and I'll begin to transform you into that man or woman that I created you to be but the circumstances of your life have ripped you off. But it's still possible through Christ in us. So God, I pray for any man or woman in this room that even right now is having their first conversation with you, maybe ever, and they say, would you save me? Because I do believe, I don't have it all figured out. I do believe your, your son, Jesus is your son and he died on a cross and I want that to count for me. And at that moment, we become saved, forgiven. We're now not a mess. We are, we are, we're a new creation in Christ. We, we, God, will you move in us and teach us what that looks like in our life? God, I pray for any, any person that, 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 that's listening to this here up, up at West and then their prayer goes like this. I'm trapped in a, in a really hard life. I'm trapped in a, in a hard circumstance. I'm trapped in a hard marriage, a hard family, a hard health situation. I, I'm really, really, really nervous about, about the rest of my life. I don't see it getting better. Would, would you just come into their life right now and put your arms around them and say, I gotcha. But would you take it another step further? Would you raise up somebody within your church to say, and I'll go through this with you because our biggest need is to know that we're not the only one. And that we're not alone. So God, just let your spirit move in that. God, I, I, I pray for, for women and for little boys and little girls who are trapped in slavery of trafficking all over the world and all over the country. And, and I don't just pray for them. I pray that you would raise up some men and women with the arms and compassion of Jesus and say, I'm going to go and help restore them back to, the, to who they were meant to be. And I don't know how to do that. I, don't, I have no idea how to rescue people like that. So put me in contact with the people that do and send me out. God, there's people hurting around us. In this room, there's Christians hurting on the other side of the world. I come, come before you, Lord, on behalf of Christians who are in Iraq right now, who are running from the borders because a target is on their life. And if they don't get out, more of their children are going to be beheaded. Their wives are going to be raped. Their, 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 their husbands are going to be killed. God, save them. And what's more, would you raise up Christians around the world to open our arms and say, come, come to me. And I'll give you rest because that's what Jesus did for me. God, we don't ever want to become self-righteous, self-centered Christians who somehow think that we've arrived at some place that it's all about us. It's always all about your son, Jesus, who's in us, who wants to live out of us. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.